Today's scripture reading is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, here we are this morning, coming into your presence yet again with, Lord, mixed feelings, but high expectations. Lord, you have met us again and again and again as we've gathered in this place, as we've gathered online. You've spoken in a way that's so clearly of you. You've shown us very clearly, Lord, that you are alive, that you're active, that you're for us, and that you want more for us than we ever even imagined was possible before. We're asking that you would expand our minds and grow our hearts, that we would think your thoughts and want what you want, that we would love what you love, and that more than anything else, Lord, we would be able to live lives that reflect what we've been singing all morning. We want your face. There's nothing better. There's nothing better like John said this morning when the worship team was practicing, how profound a thought that there's nothing better than this right now when we're not in heaven, but your promise is to bring heaven to us right now. And so we're asking for heaven to come. Come, Holy Spirit, and do the work that you alone can do. Drive back the darkness with the light. Fill us with your love and remake us from the inside out. Jesus, we give you the only thing that we have to give our access. Here, here's our heart, Lord. Here we are. Have your way in us. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So we have this sticker on our shirts that talks all about our Christmas tree choice. And I want you to know something, true confession, I grew up as an artificial tree guy, um, and uh, we had kind of the typical Charlie Brown Christmas tree. You know, it was small, there were lots of holes in it, you know, gaps, and so it was not a robust tree, but it was our Christmas tree, and we loved it, right? So I, I, I grew up an artificial tree guy, um, but as soon as I started to date Kristen, I learned very early on that there's a pecking order when it comes to Christmas trees, and if you are a real Christmas tree person, you have the privilege and the right to look down on all artificial tree people, <laughs> which is the whole reason why we did this name tag thing, right? Just kidding, but not so much. Um, 
because what I learned from my father-in-law, who unfortunately I don't see him here, so dad, if you're watching online, this one's for you. Um, this may or may not be an actual picture of his car when we'd go c- cut down Christmas trees. Uh, it's, it's not, but it's not a far stretch from what his car regularly looks like because it is his prerogative to find the, the largest tree in the lot to bring home so that it fills the largest amount of space in his home all the way up to the ceiling and as much of the living room, the great room, which doesn't look so great anymore because it's full of a tree, right? Like, thanks, mom. I love you. I got your back, right? Because he gets a tree that's so huge that it barely fits in the room because he loves Christmas so much. It's awesome. He's a big kid. Two years ago, uh, I was not able to go help them get the tree. But I met them at the house to help them get it off the car. And I I show up. There's nobody there. I figure I'll get the tree off by myself. (laughs) Big mistake. Right? Because it's the middle of COVID. I may have put on a few dozen extra pounds and lost some muscle that I once had. And as I'm rolling the tree off onto my shoulder, it hits me so hard I feel a crunch in my lower back. And I realize I just herniated two discs which I didn't know at the time. I just kind of walked it off, and I had a little bit of pain, but it was okay, but it got worse and worse and worse. And if you were around with us last winter, you saw me hobbling up on stage, barely able to walk because the sciatica was so bad, right? So you remember that, but if you remember that, then you also remember that what happened just a couple months after it got so bad I could barely walk, and I'm on big-time pain medication, and I've gone through all the different rehabs you can do, and nothing's touching it, and the only option in front of me medically is surgery. Surgery that, bear in mind, they tell you, if you have this surgery, you can't lift more than 35 pounds for the rest of your life. That does not fit my lifestyle, right? So you, you have to have surgery. Well, I share it here simply because I can't walk. All of a sudden, the elders pray over me. You're praying for me. I'm praying. I'm lying in bed in severe pain, and I'm crying out to God and saying, God, please heal my back. And I hear the audible voice of God say to me, do you want to be healed? And I say, yes, Lord. He says, then pick up your mat and walk. I get up out of bed and immediately 75% of my pain is gone. Gone. Amen. Amen. For those of you who are like me, glass half empty kind of guys, you're thinking, okay, but what about the other 25%? right? That's great and all, but what about the other 25%? Well, I I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and it's gotten a little better. I'm about probably 90% better, but at this point, I'm pretty convinced that the Lord isn't going to take the other 10, 5 to 10% away. You know why? Because His grace is sufficient for me, because His power is made perfect in my weakness. Why am I telling you this story? Because a lot of you know the story already. A lot of you were here for it. Some of you don't know it at all. And this is, you know, hallelujah, you're hearing it for the first time. Why am I telling you? Well, because what a winter miracle translated into was a spring of knowing. What does that mean, a spring of knowing? Well, my bride, who watched me suffer and walked through that with me and entered into my pain with me, knew that it wasn't simply a physical thing that I was going through, that I was actually pretty depressed. That emotionally and on a soul level, the way that God has made me is to connect with, 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 with dudes, right? Like with other guys and, and to do things where we're, we're, we're lifting heavy weights and we're, we're, we're getting sweaty and doing, and doing crazy stuff because that's just that time with guys is something that I've always valued, right? And it's, it's the way God's made me. And whether we're lifting weights or not, it doesn't matter. But what my bride knew was 
there was an easy way for her to love me and to encourage my recovery, or to use a different word, my strength. And so that spring, she took the risk of turning our garage into a gym. And since this past spring, that gym has been full of guys, lots and lots of guys coming in, working out, having fun, building relationships, and yes, getting stronger. Yes, in your muscles, but much more so in your heart. Friends, why am I sharing this with you? Well, the point is simply this. The intimacy that we shared allowed Kristen to know my heart and to act in a way that resonated with my passion and my strength. I want you to realize that today we continue in this, the, the book of Acts, our study through that book that we're calling the mission of the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to unpack this union between intimacy and strength, specifically his strength, and how he has given us ways to enter into that that allow us to walk more whole, more supported, more a part of a team, stronger than we ever have before. If that's what you want, I'm glad you're here. Last week, we talked about surrendering to repurpose suffering being a primary pathway to intimacy and authority. It's something that none of us want. No one likes suffering, but everyone suffers. And the question we asked last week is how and why are we going to suffer? We live in a broken world. So the, the argument we hear all the time about, well, if there's a good God, then why does he allow suffering? So then the option, just to do the math, is then push back from the only God who can actually redeem suffering and just suffer. Right? No one wants to take you down that path. The only path people want to walk you down is, oh, there's, he must be really bad, so I'm going to walk away and only suffer. How does that one work out for you? How about instead we allow God to be the one who said, I made the world without suffering, and in our rebellion we broke it. And so what aches our hearts, hear this, aches his more. It aches his more, which is precisely why he does what he does in sending his son to live our life, feel our pain, and overcome our death. That's why it's called good news, friends. Hallelujah, Hallelujah indeed. This week, our theme is simply this. Intimacy with God empowers us to know his heart and to walk in his strength. Intimacy with God empowers us to know his heart and to walk in his strength. Three points. Holy Spirit removes barriers empowers godly leadership, and produces exponential fruit. So first, Holy Spirit removes barriers. In our text, it starts off with these words, in those days, which is simply a marker that says time has passed. We don't know how much time, we just know that time has passed since the last time we saw this interaction, since the last chapter, in other words, right? But what's going on is there's a complaint between Hellenistic widows being, uh, because Hellenistic widows are being uh, neglected. What does that mean? Well, everyone here is Jewish, know this. The context here, everyone is Jewish. Almost every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ early on in church history is a Jew. They're raised Jewish. They have Jewish culture and history. But the difference is, on the cultural level, how Jewish are they? Do they keep Sabbath? Do they keep the clean laws? In other words, were they raised in Israel? Or were they raised outside of Israel, which most Jews at that time were raised outside of Israel? Because of what happened when Israel fell, right, to Babylon and to Assyria. They were scattered. It's called the Great Diaspora. 
And so you have Jewish people who believe in Yahweh, but who live culturally very differently than their Israeli brothers and sisters. And so you have within there uh, something that's going on in the, the first century church where you have those who are raised outside of Israel who are the Hellenistic Jews, that just means Greek culture, those who are raised outside of Israel that are being neglected and those who are raised inside of Israel were not being neglected. They were getting most of the, the goods and services. And that makes sense if you think about it because if you're, if you're a hometown guy or gal and you have all the connections, you know all the people, they're going to look out for you first. If you're someone who's returned and you're maybe the new person, the new kid in town, the new kid in school, most likely you're going to be the one that's overlooked. But what's in view in our passage for this morning is simply this. The justice of God. The justice of God on two levels. Economic justice and racial justice. Economic justice, simply this. James tells, James, the brother of Jesus, simply says this, right? Here's true religion. If you want to know what true religion is, it consists of two things. Care for, what two, what two people? Do you know the, the verse? Widows and orphans. Widows and orphans. Or to put it differently, care for the least of these. For those in our culture who have the least ability to care for themselves, legally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, care for widows and orphans is in view in our passage for this morning. And it's what Luke talks about in Luke chapter 12 with this manager principle. George, let them know I'm not available, please. <laughs> the manager principle is simply this, right? To whom much is given, much is required. So Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 12 where he says, hey, look, the kingdom of God is like this. There's a rich homeowner who leaves, who goes on his way, and he, he leaves managers in charge. And if he's given you much, much will be expected from you. So let me translate that differently. Everything you have belongs to Jesus. Let that sink in for just a second. I'm not just talking about money. He's not just talking about money. All of your time, all of your hair, all of your heart, all of your money, all of your clothes, all of your possessions belong to Jesus. It's all his stuff. It's kind of like when my kids were growing up and they would argue with one another over who gets to wear what shirt. I would say to them the same thing every time. Guys, it's all mine. I bought it all right? Like, all your stuff belongs to me. So here's how you're going to handle this dispute, right? In a way, tongue-in-cheek, I got to play God in their lives, right? God is the one who says, I've given you everything, and if I've given you much, I expect you to invest it well. And so we oftentimes think this. We say, I just don't know what God wants me to do. Okay, where do you have abundance? Where's there abundance in your life? For some of us, it is money. For others of us, it's time. For others of us, it's wisdom and experience. Where do you have abundance? Because your abundance, hear this, is your assignment. Where God has chosen to trust you with a lot of his stuff, he's expecting you to invest it in others. Your abundance is your assignment, which is precisely what we see happening in the first century church. They, those who have a lot are given to those who don't. That's care for widows and orphans, and everyone else, for that matter, who had need. So that's on the economic side. What about on the racial side, racial injustice within the church? Well, I want to start off with a, a very famous quote from Nigel Powers. 
uh, from Austin Powers movies. If you've seen the Austin Powers movie, you're a sinner. Um, I have not, but I'm just quoting. Um, so Nigel Powers has this awesome line in, uh, in one of the Austin Powers movies. He says this, there's two things I can't stand in this world. People who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. <laughs> Where is he? There he is. That was for you, George. <laughs> so, yeah, bye, George. Um, so what, what, what's the point here? The point is we all do things like this, like they were doing in the first century church. Because, see, the first century church, remember, they're all part of the same culture. They're all Jewish, but they're different sects within that culture, different divisions, different histories, right, within the culture. So within our culture, what is this called again? Hillbilly Jim, thank you. He's a wrestler, by the way, right? For those of you who don't know who Hillbilly Jim is, you've missed out on an entire glorious season of life. Hillbilly Jim. But, but we know this because this is the way that we in the North have tended to look at those in the South. Right? Y'all speak a little slowly, and you're probably more dumb than we are. Listen. If you are from the South and you have experienced that level of, of, of cultural prejudice, can I just say to you, I'm sorry? Because we, we, we joke around about that, but for many, that has hurt. If you're part of what was, has been called the flyover states, right? The, 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 the middle, middle America full of really dumb hicks. Can I apologize to you? Because that's not okay. We make jokes and we can laugh, but the reality is it's not okay. Like some of the sweetest, most God-fearing, most impactful people I've ever had in my life were from the South. And so what I used to also hear as backwoods, I now hear as gloriously beautiful. What about when it comes to some of our Asian friends? Can I tell you that within the Asian culture, I've heard from some of my friends that there is a stereotype, there's a, there's a way that Asian people look down on one another. If your eyes are rounder, you, you have a higher status than those whose eyes are more narrow. What is that? Can I say to you, to my Asian brothers and sisters who are here, you are beautiful just the way you are. Do not listen to those lies from hell. I mean, this is the creativity of our God. You bring out God's beauty in a way that we need to see. So please, be you. It's not just with our Asian brothers and sisters. I've heard the same thing from our black brothers and sisters, where there's, there's a way that uh, those who have darker skin are looked down upon by those who have lighter skin, as, as if there's not beauty in all of the shades of black and brown that God has created. And so for those of you who have black or brown skin, who have ever felt any of that from within your even particular culture, can I again say to you, that wasn't okay with God. You are beautiful the way God has made you. Please be you. Friends, this stuff is not just in, in theory, right? Like, or just in, in practice when it comes to interpersonal stuff. 
This kind of cultural prejudice we saw played out on a global scale in Rwanda in 1994 with a genocide that killed over 500,000 people. Do you know why? Because the Tutsi people were lighter skinned and higher cheekbone and taller than the Hutu people. This was the ruling class, and those that were being ruled felt like they needed to rebel because there was too much European blood in the lighter skinned Tutsis. And so they slaughtered over 500,000 of their brothers and sisters. Hotel Rwanda tells that story well. If you've not seen that movie, it's not easy to watch, but it certainly tells that, that piece of history well. Why are we talking about this? Because I want you to see on both levels, economically and culturally, even within pockets of culture, we don't do the justice of God very well. As a human race, we've gotten it wrong a lot. But as the church, it is our responsibility and our privilege to get it right. If you look in verse 2, we're only in verse 2, by the way, so this is going to be a long morning. Verse 2, the 12 summoned and led everyone in a particular direction, which we're about to unpack. But I want you to see this. There was no discussion. They knew what was right. It wasn't, hmm, what should we do here? They knew, and we're going to unpack how they knew next with our second point. The Holy Spirit empowers godly leadership. As a bit of an aside, but it's here in the text, so I want to say it, the first thing we see in our text is boundaries. For those of you who know me well, you know I don't do boundaries well. I don't do boundaries well. I burn the candle on both ends. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a runner, I'm a sprinter, and a lot of that is because of my own dysfunction. Because I need the approval of others on a deep level because I never had it growing up. Can any of you, can any of you relate to me in that? Oh, thanks for your honesty. I want you to know God heals and he sets free. And his is the approval that you're looking for. So lean in today, friends. Godly leadership, however, knows boundaries. And so what you see here is the disciples, the 12, who have been called and gifted to do what? To preach. To preach. To preach the gospel. They say, it would not be right for us to be the ones who organize care for the widows. But what we're going to do is we're going to set apart seven who are specifically called and empowered to do that so that we can continue to do what God's called us to do and they can do what God's calling them to do. You know what that's called? Being the body of Christ. That God has given each of us gifts. Did you know that as a Christian, you've received gifts? You have gifts. It's not just that person over there. It's not just the leaders of the church. Literally every Christian in here and every Christian watching online, you've received gifts from heaven that are designed to be invested in others. Your abundance is your what? Assignment. Where God has gifted you is where he's calling you to serve. And when we choose to serve in a way that is according to our gifting, guess what happens? We thrive. We thrive. Some of you have no idea what your gifts are. If you're new to the faith, you're like, I didn't even know we had gifts. This is awesome. How do I figure this out? Is there like a, uh, an online survey? Yes, there are online surveys. I'm glad you asked. You can go to lifeway.com. Lifeway.com has a great online gift survey. You can fill it out, figure it out. It'll help you on the first kind of 
wave, if you will, trying to understand your gifts. But can I tell you this? For those of you who have been around the block a few times, you're like, I've done those surveys. I already know what my gifts are. Can I challenge you to realize you may know some of your gifts, but you absolutely don't know all. Because God gives us some gifts that stick with us for our lifetime, and he gives us other gifts that are specific for a season and a purpose. So here is the best way. Are you listening? The best way to figure out your gifts. Serve. Serve. Take the risk to come up underneath someone else who's doing it already. Learn from someone who's doing it well, who resonates with the Spirit of God in you. And see. You know what the worst case scenario is if you serve in a place that isn't actually your gifting? You just serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you move on to the other area to try to figure out if this is actually your gift fix. And you've made a new friend that you're going to be able to connect with on a Sunday morning and in the community and love and pray for. Does that sound like a bad thing to you? It's not a bad thing. It's a glorious gift. So even figuring out where we're supposed to serve is a gift from God. The question you're going to be asking, that we're going to be asking this morning is, will you? Will you take the risk to step out in faith? Godly leadership delegates, right? But godly leadership also requires fullness. When you see a glass that is half filled up, how do we define that glass? It is half? Wow. I would have said half empty. I'm one of those guys, right? But you know what godly leadership requires? All the way full. Fullness. One of the things we did more than once when we launched All Souls Community Church is we put people in positions of leadership that were half full because we had high hopes. We thought, hey, they're heading in the right direction. This is going to be great. God's doing amazing things. And you know what happened with literally every person we did that with? The weight of leadership crushed them. Crushed them. And there was all sorts of mess we had to clean up afterward because of it. That's on me. That's on me. Because my heart was, hey, we can do this. Let's, let's be cheerleaders for one another. God's doing great things. And God's like, hey, hey, have, have you read the book of Acts? It's right there. Godly leadership requires fullness. And it's not just so everyone else doesn't get hurt. It's so that person doesn't get crushed. Fast forward to today. Can I tell you that the people that we have leading at All Souls Community Church are blessing from God? They are full of the Spirit and pursuing more. And no one's perfect. That's not the expectation. But God has us in such a better place, which means to me, His grace is still sufficient. For where my sin abounds, His grace abounds all the more. If that's true for me, friends, it's true for you. Where are you struggling to believe that today? Fullness, friends, because you're asking this question, right? Okay, what does fullness mean? Because we just talked about water. Certainly not water, right? Fullness of the Spirit is intimacy language. Don't miss what, what through the Apostle John, Jesus said during his Last Supper. He makes it abundantly clear 
that fullness is about intimacy, intimacy, that this helper that he promises, he says, I will go and send you this helper. Why? So that you will know this union that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have known forever. That I'm going to be in you, and you're going to be in me, and we're going to be in one another. There's a union. There's a, there's a desire. There's a wovenness to it. The closest thing we have to that is the relationship between husband and wife or parent and child in our world. This sense of when I leave and I go on a, on a retreat or on a, to a conference, you, the, you should see the text messages that Kristen and I send to one another. I miss you. I, this is, I just got in the car. I, I, you know, I barely left. Like, I miss you. I, I, I don't want to do this. I don't like when you're away. Yeah, yeah, I don't like it either. This is horrible. Why am I doing this? And then, of course, God meets us and he blesses us. But the thing is, is there's an intimacy. There's a deep desire. There's a deep knowing that says, I don't want to be apart from you for one moment. There are certain work days I get home at the end of the day and I just can't wait. I've just missed her because she's the other side of me. There's a wovenness in my heart. And God's the one who says that only approximates our relationship. And as I've gotten to know him more, what I'm realizing is he knows what he's talking about. God actually gets it right, right? He, he has such love. Psalm 63, 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Let me say that one more time so it doesn't breeze over your head. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. He's talking to us about the very thing for which we were created. You remember when we went through the Gospel of Luke? We said, why did God put us on the planet to begin with? Why were we made? For one reason, to be loved by him. That's it. It's not all the other secondary reasons, which can all be good, right? The primary reason we were made was so that we could share in the love that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have shared in every moment of history. Intimacy language, Fullness is about us getting back to the place for which we were created. But intimacy is also the greenhouse. What do I mean by that? It's the place where strength, authority grows. It's the place where as we grow deeper in our intimacy with God, we begin to walk in a way that actually looks like Jesus, not just in the fruit of the Spirit, but also in the power of the Spirit. Intimacy and strength are inseparable. In John 5, 19, Jesus says, the Son can do nothing apart from the Father. What? The Son can do nothing apart from the Father. That's not a divine Son uh, declaration. That is a Jesus, the Son of Man, the the God who put on skin and humbled himself, emptied himself of all his rights as God, saying, the way that I do things, my actions are all driven by this reality, intimacy with the Father. I only do what he tells me to do. John 7, 8, 12, 14. The Son says nothing that he hasn't, listen, heard from the Father. What? 
He's not just talking on his own. He's not making this up as he goes along and crossing his fingers and hoping it's going to be okay. He's not even saying, hey, I've studied a lot, and now this is my, my, my informed decision. He's not even saying, as second person of the Trinity, I now speak as God. Here's what he's saying. As Holy Spirit-filled man, I hear from God, and I speak, and it happens. Why does that matter? Because in John 15, 5, he says, you can do nothing apart from me. You can say nothing apart from what you hear. Or to put it differently, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Forever in my life, I read that passage like this. If I memorize God's word and plant it deep in my heart, it's going to shape me and change me, and then I'm going to want different things and walk according to the heart of God. And that's absolutely true. It's just not enough. It's absolutely true, but not enough. Because Jesus isn't talking about the Torah, writing the words of the Torah on his heart and then living out of them. He's saying, I hear from you and then I do, because he's talking about specific instances in his life. I'm, I'm healing this blind man. Where is that in the Torah? I'm calling these 12. Where is that in the Torah? It's not there. It's not that Jesus didn't memorize the Torah. He absolutely did. He knew it. That was his foundation. It was the root of his faith. But the fruit of his faith was an ongoing, intimate, deep, knowing communication with the Father. When you abide in my words that are spoken to you, and then you speak them after hearing them, what you say will come to fruition. Ask anything and it will be done for you. Why? Because you're asking for the very thing I've told you to ask for. That, friends, is deep, intimate union that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have forever shared that we were made to share and that Jesus died to bring us back into. Amen is right. Amen is right. Spiritual intimacy is the greenhouse. Remember this quote from last week from my, one of my profs, Rob Reamer. Spiritual authority is rooted in identity, expanded in intimacy, and activated by faith. Easy example of what that looks like. When we have our prayer team come forward every Sunday, and we invite you up for prayer, there's two ways that this can go down. One is, the person who's standing there just starts praying. Long, eloquent, scripture-filled prayers. And you might feel a little better, but nothing's going to happen. Nothing. Because it's you. When you show up, you show up. When Jesus shows up, the kingdom comes. So you can either receive a long, eloquent prayer, or, as we're training our prayer team to do, they can listen for the voice of God and the leading of God and the direction of God. Because, listen, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But when his words abide in us, we can ask anything and it will be done. And all of a sudden, you know what we're seeing? 
as folks are coming forward and we're praying over them, healing, deliverance, faith, a desire for faithfulness. So it's a heart-soul healing. It's a spiritual healing. It's a renewing. It's all the things that are, we find in the Word, but that are specifically being applied to the people at that moment through that God who is speaking. Intimacy with God is the greenhouse for spiritual authority. Are you following me? Okay. Because when we live this way, you know what God promises? Fruit, baby. Lots and lots of fruit. Exponential, abundant fruit. Verse 7, the word of God continued to increase, which is talking about the expansion outward and inward. As the disciples and the followers of Christ at that time, all the full number, it talks about of disciples, all those who were following Jesus started to exercise faith and live into it and use their gifts. Guess what happened? They spoke the truth and love to one another and grew up into Christ who is their head. God used them beyond themselves to see thousands and thousands and thousands of people for generations of whom you are a part. We are the fruit of their ministry. God used them beyond themselves. Exponential fruit. Even, friends, the priests. Please don't miss this part. Because this is where we're going to kind of take it home today. Who were the priests in the first century? The Levites, right? They were the, the religious people. I'll use a different term. They were the, the pastors, the worship leaders, the disciple group leaders, the wellspring leaders. They were the ones who were in charge of leading God's people. They were the ones who were rooted in the word. They were the ones who thought they understood and got it. They were the ones who rejected Jesus. As we talked about last week, they were also the ones who were at greatest risk. If they actually started to put their faith in the facts of the resurrection, what was going to happen? They were going to lose their position. There's a lot at stake here. And at the end of this little passage, where we always read this, these first seven verses in Acts chapter 6 to talk about deacons, right? Like, oh, these are the first deacons, and we move right on. This is the best part of it. He's saying, even the priests started to believe. Even those who were completely and wholly opposed. Even the atheists of their day. They would not call themselves atheists, but they were because you can't know the Father except through the Son. So here's the challenge for us, friends. Who are the priests in your lives? Who are the people that you think right now, not that person? They'll never get it. They'll never believe. They're so far out in left field, it will never happen. That's the priests. That's the priests. Even the priests started to believe. Because when the Holy Spirit comes to get you, he never fails. Who are you praying for? Who are you believing? Remember last week when we put up these ornaments on that Christmas tree? That Advent challenge? Where we talked simply about where does God want to show up in you and through you? Do you remember that? There's some more ornaments, by the way, at the welcome table. If you didn't get to do it, you didn't miss your chance, you can fill it out. But ask God first, where does he want to show up in you 
and through you. I wonder if part of his answer are the priests in your life. The people who are the hardest to pray for, who have the hardest of hearts, that Jesus loves to just come in and boop, change them in an instant. Why do you think you're in their lives? I noticed this morning as I was coming in, the building right next door to us that used to be the Y that's owned now by a Hasidic family or a community or whatnot has planted trees all the way around the property, putting up a wall. If you've lived in Rockland long enough, you know that some of the people that are your priests are the Hasidic community. Are we praying for our Hasidic brothers and sisters, our neighbors? Are we asking for people of peace to break into that community? Because just like every other community around us, guess who they need? Jesus, the Mashiach, the Messiah. Who are your priests? Who are you praying for? Who's the family you think, atheist, no way they're coming around? Who are you praying for? God knows. It's why you're in their lives. And it's what the Advent, it's what Christmas is actually all about. Because when God was asked that question, who would never come to faith in you? His answer was you. But he who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us, who will also graciously give us all things. He came into this world to do for you what you could not do for yourself, to change your heart, and then to send you out to help change the hearts of others. Intimacy with God is how you begin to hear his heart for the priests. And when you begin to pray, the prayers you've heard, all of a sudden, the fruit multiplies. Friends, I'm praying that every one of those prayers is answered this Advent season. I'm praying that we see multiplication of fruit here at All Souls Community Church in us and through us. Are you praying? Have you forgotten? It's okay, there's grace. If you're like, I didn't even remember we did that. Well, guess what? When it's not a one and done, it's for the Advent season. Please be praying, and let's watch what our Lord does. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are grateful that at the end of the day, you're not asking us to perform. You've not asked us to figure something out, to be better, to do better. What you've invited us into is an intimate relationship with the God who formed the world, who wove us together in your image, and who came to do everything necessary to remake us like that. And Jesus, we just, we just declare today that you're great, that you're amazing, that you're beautiful beyond description. But Lord, we also declare that our, our faith needs to grow. So would you forgive us for our little faith today? And would you help us, Lord, to begin to hear your voice in a way that shapes us, 
Lord, where, where we know it's you and where we, we know your heart because we've tasted your love for others, for the priests, the lost in our lives. And where we begin to pray blessing on those that we only thought we could curse before. And where we begin to see walls come down inside of us that we didn't know were there before. And where we then see, Lord, the walls come down in those that we've been hating and not knowing. And all of a sudden, heaven breaks in. Even the priests, you say. Yes, Lord. Even me. Jesus, have your way. Have your way in us, Lord. Bring light and life. We want to know more of your heart. We want to be filled with more of your love. We want to live like deeply loved people. So fill us freshly today, Lord, I pray. Show us the next step, the next person, the next situation where you want to use us and show up through us. Keep speaking, Lord. We're listening.